We are going to be in Ruth chapter 3 this morning. And I realize just like when you're flipping in the Bible, it's kind of hard to get to Ruth because it's a little itty bitty book. She's just a, a little book in between the, the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. And so you're coming out of Joshua. Oh, man, talk about an awesome kind of narrative stretch. I mean, with the book of Joshua, it looks like things are going to go great for the people of God by the time Joshua ends. Man, they've conquered. They're in the promised land. And then you come into Judges, and Judges is like this book of absolute just disintegration of a society. I mean, everything just falls apart. And it says there in Judges that everybody, uh, there was no king and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And then we have this book of Ruth, this great narrative story of Ruth in the midst of the time of Judges. I just really thought that my heart as I was kind of getting ready for this series was really kind of, hey, you can have the best of relationships in the worst of times. You have a great relationship with God in the worst of times. You can have a great relationship in, in your family, uh, in friendships, in community. It is possible that even in the time of judges, God is at work in blessing people, redeeming people, and redeeming families and towns and cities and villages and households, that, that God can do these things. And sometimes it can be easy to forget that when you're living in chaotic and dark times. And so I really love Ruth because Ruth is an alternative perspective. Ruth is the alternative of God being at work in chaotic times. So you can have the best of relationships in the worst of times. Now, today we're talking about the topic of redemption. I want everybody to kind of be thinking about this word today, redemption. It's a great word, one of the most important words that you will learn as a Christian, or if you're investigating Christianity even, I would recommend to you this idea of redemption because the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about redemption. And what this word means in the New Testament, in particular Old Testament as well, is it means to purchase or to buy back. It means to buy something or purchase something. It's the language of kind of the marketplace, especially in the New Testament, um, the language of the marketplace. And it means to buy back. In particular, in uh, kind of the Roman world, in the ancient world, uh, you would purchase someone out of slavery. You might ransom somebody so that they could gain freedom. So you might be a slave and, and owned by another person, and somebody could redeem you with a price, and you could be set free and no longer a slave, but a freeborn or a free citizen in society. So think about this idea, because redemption really, what we're meant to, to experience in this word of redemption biblically is something that, that, that is big, it's huge, it comes at a high cost. And it comes with a huge benefit, like a massive life-changing mental benefit. And what I thought about, and this kind of struck me this week as I was thinking about Ruth chapter 3. What I thought about is I thought about when somebody was redeemed in the ancient world, that didn't necessarily mean that they moved their geography or moved their location. It meant that they had a change of status in the society that they were already living in that a change of status in the society that they were already living in. Now think about that. 
You know, what God wants to do in our life is he doesn't want to move us to a different location or change our geography. He doesn't want us to leave the world or leave culture. He wants to give us a new status within culture. The Bible says that Jesus has redeemed us by his blood. And when you read the gospel, when you read the Bible, being redeemed is not only knowing that you've been set free from prison and slavery, but beginning to have the mind and the status of a redeemed person within your society. You are redeemed. And the question is, is your mind redeemed? If you've, be- if you've believed in Jesus Christ and you've become a Christian and you're redeemed by Jesus... The question for you and I is, is our mind catching up to the reality of what we have in Christ? Do I consider myself as a redeemed person living in my culture and society? I thought about one of my favorite movies. I don't even know if I should recommend it, but I think I should. Is Shawshank Redemption. How many of y'all have seen this movie? I just love this movie. Okay, now, lots of bad watch it with the kids okay uh, don't watch it with the kids I mean good grief I'm getting in so much trouble uh, this is a great movie and I love this movie because you get you got Andy Dufresne and you got Red and you got remember Brooks and Brooks is the is the older elderly man who's been in prison for 50 years and he's so used to those gray walls he's so used to that prison and he's learned to kind of cultivate a lifestyle within that prison and he has kind of a a prison mindset and when he gets paroled and he goes out and he's a free man he can't handle it do you remember that such a poignant moment in that movie I mean really sad stuff And Andy Dufresne talks about hope and he talks about the fact that there is a music that you can have in your heart. There's a music you can have in your mind. And he tells Red because Red's like, man, what happened to Brooks is he was institutionalized. He was an important man in prison. He learned how to, how to, how to lead the library. He learned how to do all these things and he got institutionalized. And I thought that's my problem. My problem isn't my status. My problem is, is that I'm so used to my culture and my time that I'm still, I've got elements of being institutionalized. I've learned how to operate within my culture. And, and when I go wrong, when I trip up, when I give in to temptation, when I, when I fail in life, it's, it's, it's because I'm forgetting who I am in Christ. I'm forgetting my status of being a redeemed person. I'm still wearing prison clothes when God considers me clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I am a redeemed person. And so the question for us today is, how can we redeem our mind? How can we really walk in the status of redemption? How do we, how do we operate in a way to where we're not institutionalized like Brooks and we're walking in the hope that Andy Dufresne talked about when we're well on our way to the kingdom of God and we're acting like it, we're experiencing that in our mind and in our spirit. When we come to Ruth chapter 3, I really think that Ruth chapter 3 tells us a great, it's a great, great story. And I think what it tells us is this, don't chase redemption. Put yourself in the way of the Redeemer. Get in the way of the Redeemer to have a redeemed mind. Don't chase it. Don't try to earn it. 
Don't try to go around like the world and chase it. Get in the way of the Redeemer. When we come to Ruth chapter 3, we come to this ancient story. Now, I've messed up so many times during this series, and I got to correct. I got to do another correction. You're like, good grief, this guy. My correction is this, that Ruth didn't happen 3,000 years before Christ, but more like 1,000 years before Christ. I think I said 3,000 last week, so apologize about that. But 1,000 years before the, the life of Christ, here's this great story. And we've met in Ruth chapter 2 a pattern or a prefigured uh, character in the Bible of, to Jesus Christ. His name is Boaz. Now, some people might find it strange that, that we would consider as Christians Old Testament stories and see Jesus so clearly in uh, some of these narratives of the Bible. But we believe that God set up Israelite history in such a way to where there would be a blueprint or a pattern of the person and work of Jesus Christ in almost every character and especially any hero that you read about. With Boaz, it becomes easy to see the pattern of Jesus because, number one, we learned last week he's a kinsman redeemer. And in the ancient world, a kinsman redeemer was a relative, a close relative, who could purchase your land and purchase your life and kind of bring you into his life so that your posterity could continue. He's a kinsman redeemer, that he could purchase Ruth, that there was the potential for him to purchase Ruth. And so, of course, we see Jesus in Boaz. Not only that, but he was born in Bethlehem. Can I get an amen? You see what I'm saying? Y'all walking? He's worthy, born in Bethlehem. He's a redeemer. He's a, he's, a, he's a man of righteousness. He's got a harvest. He's got servants. He's got a kingdom. And so what we're meant to read in this story is we're meant to read about Jesus Christ. Paul did this all the time. If you read 1 Corinthians, man, Paul like thinks everything is Jesus in the Old Testament. He's like, y'all remember when Moses hit that rock? That rock was Jesus. You know, I mean, he's always doing this. And, and he says that Paul says in the New Testament that the Old Testament stories are therefore encouragement and example of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Boaz is Jesus and Ruth is you and I. Ruth comes from this Moabite culture. Ruth comes from a culture of false gods. Ruth comes from a culture of death. Ruth comes from outside of the family of God. Ruth is you and I. And Naomi's kind of like the church. Naomi's kind of now guiding Ruth to, to Boaz, to the Redeemer. And what Naomi, as the church, is going to tell Ruth to do is, watch this, don't chase redemption, Ruth. Get in the way of the Redeemer. Put yourself in his path. Put yourself in his path so that you can receive redemption and put yourself in his path so that you can experience redemption so that you can have that change of status in your life. So we say, okay, how do I put myself in the path of the Redeemer so that I won't be institutionalized with a prison and a slave mentality? Well, number one, I would say risk it all. Let's go to Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We remember Naomi and Ruth have traveled from Moab. They're both grieving widows. Um, Naomi was a woman of bitterness. Now she's becoming a woman of hope. Ruth met Boaz, just happened to be on his field because she was drawn to the field of Boaz, just like you and I are drawn to Jesus when we're saved. And so we come to Ruth chapter 3 and we start in verse 1. And I would just say this, we got to risk it all to put ourselves in the path of Jesus. Look at Ruth 3 verse 1. It says, then Naomi 
Her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, this is the first thing we got to say about this. First thing we got to say. And especially, I'm, a, I'm the dad of four daughters. Can I get an amen? I'm a dad of four daughters. I would not tell her this is how you go find a husband. Can I get a hallelujah? Right, we don't do this. So sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you're not reading a prescription, but a description, right? And you got to know the difference when you're reading the Bible, all right? So it's not a prescription for how to go find a husband. This is a description so that you and I can figure out how to get in the way of Jesus as Christians. Can I get a hallelujah? Y'all following me? Now, this is a provocative thing, but here's the thing. The big thing with this little thing, what Naomi is telling Ruth to do is very risky. Everybody say risky. This is a risky plan. And the reason why this is a risky plan is because she's saying, listen, go put on your finest clothes, put on some nice perfume, go out, look nice, go out in the middle of the night of the threshing floor, uncover this man and lay down next to him and he'll tell you what to do. Now that is risky stuff and it's risque stuff. And so we got to figure out, well, exactly what's, what's happening here? Well, First of all, the reason why it's risky is because in those days, obviously, when there was winnowing after the harvest and there's winnowing, they go up to the threshing floor. I read about this this week. And what would happen is, is that in those, in those days, especially in the time of judges, prostitutes would go out during this season and they knew that men were watching their grain because they didn't want thieves to steal their grains. That's why they slept with their grain while the, after the, the, the winnowing. And so these prostitutes would go and they would ply their trade by going to these men out at night. And so it's risky because Naomi's asking Ruth to do something that maybe Boaz might misinterpret. It's risky because what if Boaz isn't the character that we thought? And it's also risky because Ruth is risking her reputation. Here's this Moabite woman, which the Moabite women were known for illicit kind of loose living, to say the least. And so here Naomi's telling Ruth to really take a great risk. But I really believe that, that what's happening here is that, that Naomi is telling Ruth that what she needs to do is she needs to show Boaz that she's coming out of mourning, okay? By saying, hey, put on, put on, anoint yourself, put on nice clothes, go, go to him. What, what she is assuming is that Boaz is the character she thinks he is, that she's trusting in Boaz, and she thinks that Boaz is waiting for Ruth to come out of mourning. And so this is the way that she is going to show it. In fact, the, the reason why I get that about the mourning is because uh, in, I think it's uh, 2 Samuel. Let's see if I can find it. Second Samuel. Yeah, there it is. 12, yeah, there it is. 1220. Okay, I didn't have a mark. It says, then David arose from the earth, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set before, uh, uh, food before him and he ate. 
In other words, one of the ways that you showed you were coming out of mourning is you got dressed, you put on some clothes, and you went and ate some food. And I think that based on chapter 2, Boaz has seen that she's a woman who's in mourning and that maybe she might not uh, be interested in him. So from a human perspective, what's happening is, is that uh, Naomi is telling, telling Ruth, it's worth the risk. We think he is what he says, and we think he knows that you are what you say you are, that you're not coming like a prostitute, but that you're coming for, uh, uh, for reasons that are honorable, and so it's worth the risk. Now, here's what I thought. What I thought is this, is that Jesus Christ asked us to surrender everything to him. Jesus asks us to risk our reputation, to lose our life, to find our life. There is no one who is redeemed by Jesus and there's no one who experiences the redemption of Jesus who doesn't have to give up something or risk something. You have to lose a part of yourself or a part of your history or part of your past and you've got to go to Jesus trusting he's going to do what he promises to do which is redeem you and give you a new future. And this isn't just about how we become Christians. This is the lifestyle of a disciple. The lifestyle of a disciple is to die to self for his sake and his gospel, to run to him, to get in the path of him trusting that he is going to do what he says he's going to do. When we, when we give money to the gospel, when we, when we get baptized as believers, when we humble ourselves and, and share our testimony with other people, when as a church we're willing to risk resources to reach more people, when, when we go out there and we say, listen, we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and we believe he's doing in our life what he says he is doing. And I bet you that somebody here has something to risk that you've got to give it all. You've got to give more than you thought you were going to have to receive more than you ever could have imagined that you will receive in Jesus Christ and his redemption. How do I keep from getting institutionalized? I give up. I shed. I, I lay aside the heavy weight and the sin that, that, that bears me down. I run the race by fixing my eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of my faith. You've got to... Don't chase redemption. Just get in the path of the Redeemer. You got to risk it all. You got to give up something this week. You got to give up something. You got to surrender something and run to Jesus. I thought about, as I was thinking about this plan of Naomi for Ruth, I thought about Matthew chapter 9 and verse 20. And you remember this woman that came to Jesus, Matthew 9, verses 20 and following. It says, And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him, touched the fringe of his garment, for she said to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. That was a risky thing to do. She's, she's trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. And even though she's well known as, as being unclean because of her sickness, even though she's, she's going to go out into, into, into the community and the community is going to look down on her. She said, I don't care who looks down on me. I don't care what gets in my way. I don't care what demon attacks. I don't care what spiritual warfare I have to experience. To touch the garment of Christ is better than to stay safe. I've got to risk it all. 
to touch him. That's what faith is. Faith runs to Jesus, gets in his path. That's what Naomi is telling Ruth. Naomi's kind of like the church. She's preaching a sermon and she says, Boaz is a redeemer. And I want you to show him that you're not in mourning anymore. You have hope. You want to live again. You want to have new life. And so do this plan. Get in the way of the Redeemer. Risk it all. Now let's look at the second little section. Let's see if Ruth does what Naomi says uh, for her to do. Look at verse 6. It says, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For I, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And I have to tell you, it's pretty provocative stuff. It's, it's one thing to hear the plan. And then it's another thing to watch Ruth kind of actually go through with this plan. I mean, when she uncovers his feet and lays down next to, to Boaz, I mean, that is like, Wow. That is big stuff. And what's happened is, is that many scholars, I think falsely, many scholars do believe that Ruth is being seductive, that she's intentionally seducing Boaz. So they see sexual innuendo here and maybe even a sexual encounter here in this text. But you and I, we're pretty good students of the Bible. Can I get an amen? And what we see here is not a seduction. In fact, with the words of Ruth and with the response of Boaz, we see something completely different. When she says in verse 9, I am Ruth, your servant, spread your wings over your spirit, over your servant, for you are a redeemer. I see in that a proposal to him to propose to her to marry her. So I don't, I don't see a, a, a seductive moment or, a, or, a, or an invitation to a sexual encounter. I see a, she's not proposing marriage, but she's proposing he proposes. Can I get an amen? She's proposing that he proposes. And the reason why I say that is because in the Old Testament, God uses this same language of wings for covenant and marriage of his people. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8, I did mark that verse. Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 8, here's what God says to Israel. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. Garment, same word for wings. Uh, 
I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. In other words, this is the language of a wedding. This is the language of a, of a wedding ceremony. In fact, I believe, this is the way I'm teaching my daughters. In fact, I'm saying that she's saying you ain't getting nothing until you come into covenant with me. Can I get a hallelujah? We're Christians even in the Old Testament, see? And so what's happening is she is proposing to him. Not only that, but, but Boaz's response is, Everybody knows you're a worthy woman. Your kindness here, the way you're approaching this is right. And we see that, that what he does is he says, wait here. I've got to go figure out this whole redemption process to see if I can marry you. I've got, I got to see if we can come into this covenant and I can cover you with my wings because you believe in the wings of the Lord. I believe in the wings of the Lord. And I want to redo the covenant of God with you in marriage. But I've got to figure some stuff out. Now, what's interesting about that? is that when we think about Ruth, now Ruth is a Moabite woman. And the Moabites originate in the incestuous relationship of Lot with his daughters. And what's interesting about that is that in, in Genesis... Let me read it to you. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 19. This is, and this is provocative stuff as well, but I think it's important for the text because I think the book of Ruth is trying to show that, that Ruth is changing. She's transformed from what her culture came from. It says about Lot and his daughters in Genesis chapter 19 verse 32. The daughters say, come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie down with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, behold, I, I lay last night with my daughter. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night and the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of, of the Moabites to this day. Now, I love that because, because I think what's happening is that's what Ruth comes, that's her culture. Her culture is an incestuous, perverted sexually gone culture and what's happening in her life is is she is redoing she's being transformed into somebody that doesn't lay down with a man for sexually uh, charged and perverted reasons she is showing that she's about covenant and about purity she's showing that she's about the lord she's being eradicated she's now even in her heart being redeemed and purchased from her Moabite culture. And that's just like you and I, see? Our culture's a Moabite culture. We come from a sexually charged culture. And what happens is the Spirit of God begins to draw us to Jesus and shows us a new way. And so what I would say is this. I would say that, 
that when we talk about, hey man, don't chase redemption, get in the way of the Redeemer, what does that mean? It means to ask him for transformation. Listen, beloved, listen. You guys look tired, I'm tired, I'm, I'm feeling tired too. But listen to me, this is an important part. Here's the deal. She is asking him to transform her heart, to cover her, to, to, to lead her out of the way of her culture. And what, what we have to do is we got to come to Jesus and we got to say, man, I don't need moral behavioral modification. I need spiritual transformation in my heart and in my mind. I need God to cover me with his wings in such a way to where he changes me from the inside out. That's what has to happen because you and I are spiritual beings and our problem is spiritual. Our practical problems have a spiritual core. We have a heart that's in rebellion against God and the only thing that can change us is a transformation that happens from love. You say, how can I get in the way of the Redeemer? Not only do I risk it all to get to him, but I ask him for transformation. And what's awesome about that is that our Redeemer is just like Boaz. He's perfectly willing to do that. I love verse 12. Look at verse 12. Ruth 3, verse 12. It says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Now, now here's the reason why that's important. Because the way I always heard Ruth was that Ruth was going to Boaz and say, you are obligated as a relative to redeem me. You have to redeem me. You have to. You are under obligation because of the kinsman redeemer laws and rules and ancient process. You are obligated to redeem me. But when he says that there's a redeemer closer to her than he is, what he's showing is I don't have to. I don't have to redeem you. But I want to redeem you. I am willing to go into town and to find this relative that's closer to you than myself and I'm willing to work this thing out because I love you and I care for you. And that is Jesus Christ. When we go to Jesus for transformation, which you got to remember, your mind has to be set on the fact he is willing to change me as I come. He is willing to give me wisdom as I come. He is willing to lead me as I ask him to lead me. Our Redeemer is willing, not obligated. And that is so powerful. Jesus came because he wanted to come save us. Jesus came for the joy of the Father, for the joy of salvation, and even now, Jesus wants to transform our lives as we come to him. Amen. So come to him and ask him for transformation. I'd ask you, you know, where, where do you need transformation? Where do you need wisdom? We, we don't have wisdom because we don't ask for wisdom is what the book of James says. Jesus said, ask, come, knock. I'll open up the door. I'll give you an answer. Are you leaning on your own understanding? Or are you trusting in the Lord with all of your heart? The only reason I am not transformed from my problems is because I stopped going to Jesus and asking him for the spiritual transformation that I need. Jesus said the same thing to the Pharisees. He said to the Pharisees, he said, listen, 
The only reason why you're not transformed by me is because you won't humble yourself and come to me and ask me for transformation. He said this, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her, her brood under her wings and you are not willing. People aren't transformed because God is unwilling to transform them. People aren't transformed because they're unwilling to go to God for the transformation. And that is my life, and that's your life as well, even as believers. When we start getting carnal, when we start having a mind that's set on, on the way people think as opposed to the way God thinks, the way culture thinks as opposed to the way Christ thinks, the reason why is because we stop being humble and we become like those Pharisees, and Jesus weeps over us and says, I would have covered you in my wings all along. I would cover you and love you well. I would lead you well. I'd be a good redeemer in your life, but you won't come under my wings. You won't under, uncover my feet and sit there. You won't come and grab my garment because you're trying to do it on your own. We got to come to Jesus and ask him for transformation. We got to humble ourselves and ask him for wisdom. Hmm. Well, the final section, let's finish out this chapter. Look at verse 14. She says in verse 14, and, and man, he, he really wants to, I love that Boaz wants to protect her. He's just awesome. In verse 14, so she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle, settle the matter today. I just thought, what, what, a story, what a story, because every time you think things are going to turn out great, there's like, a, there's like a conflict or an obstacle, and you can imagine, Ruth, by this time, I mean, if we look at it from just first the human perspective, it's a love story. That's the way we're supposed to, meet, to read this. It's a love story. It's, it's like a Jane Austen movie. I hate to say it, but that's what it is. It's like a Jane Austen movie. You got women and British, good-looking Jewish guys and all that stuff. That's what's happening here, right? And, 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 and you can imagine that Ruth is excited. She's learned the customs. The law of the Lord has led her to the grace of Boaz. The law has, has brought her to the feet of the Redeemer, which is what the law of God does to us. It brings us to the Redeemer and to grace. And, and there she is, and she's excited. And then he says, there's a relative closer than me. And she's like, oh, my goodness, no. It can't be that. And so he says, don't worry, I'm going to take care of it. Gives her some barley, puts it in her little sack thing, whatever, mail or lunchbox, whatever. And she goes back to Naomi. And I love Naomi because here's what Naomi says. And this is what a life of redemption is all about. A life of redemption is living in hope, not living in circumstances. Naomi says to her, 
Just wait. Everybody say wait. 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 Consider yourself redeemed. He's going to work it out. And Naomi, once again, is like the church. That's why we come to church on Sunday. You got to wait. You got to walk in hope. Because the truth of the matter is, is that anybody who's led by God knows that God often leads with a zigzag route. How many of y'all know that? Like he never leads us from point A to point B and it's a straight line, which drives us nuts because I'm like, God, just show me where I need to go. I need to go from here to here. I need to step in and I just want it to be simple. I want it to be easy. I want it to be direct. I want it to be, I want a straight line. And guess what? I put this picture up there because this is the life of faith. Somewhat beautiful. I would love to be on a motorcycle on that road right there. Can I get an amen? Right? But here's the thing. Anybody who drives on a road like that in a mountain or a hill, you get exhausted after a while. True or false? And that's life, man. It's like right when you think things are right, yeah, man, we are jamming and then there's conflict. Right when everything seems to be going good, then things go down. Sometimes life is like rising high up in the sun, like this picture of these, these balloons up in the sunrise, man, and you just feel like you're on top of the world, you know what I mean? Like, this is it, I have made it, and then the next day you get this, you get a storm with lightning. Y'all know what I'm saying? This is what's happening to Ruth, and Naomi's like, honey, honey, hey, honey, it's gonna work out. It's gonna be okay. Walk in hope. How do I put myself in the, in, in the path of the Redeemer? I wait for Him in hope. I don't define my life by today's circumstances. I define my life by what Jesus is bringing to me, which is an inheritance. And that barley He put in that bag, that's kind of like Jesus giving us a deposit of the Holy Spirit, which gives us the hope of the inheritance of the saints that is to come. That's Ephesians chapter 1, man. We are a people of hope not a people of arrival. We have not arrived until the kingdom of God comes. We have not arrived until Jesus comes back. And that means we do work. That means we make sacrifices. That means we put up with suffering, with patient hope. Because he is going to come back. And let me be Naomi today. I hope I look pretty. I put on my glasses. Let me be Naomi. Wait. When that road takes a sudden left and you thought it was going to go right, it's okay. When things dip, I understand it's not fun. You don't have to say it's fun, but you can walk in hope. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. You know what our culture of death does? You got to have an immediate fix. You got to get the quick fix. You got to get the quick solution. You got to run to the first thing that pragmatically works. Listen, principles are more important than pragmatic processes. Walk in the principles of God. Wait on the Lord. And as you do, that winding road, that zigzag route, it will lead to a good conclusion in your life. It's going to happen. But you've got to surrender. And you got to wait and hope. And Ruth, when she hears that word, she's like, all right, it's okay, it's okay. I'm still going to get the British guy in the end. He's going to have a wonderful British accent. My Redeemer will love me. He will come back for me. And until then, I have the Holy Spirit, which bears witness to my spirit that I am a child of God. You live in a world that's chasing redemption. There ain't no human being that doesn't want to be redeemed. 
There's not one human being that's not dealing with spiritual warfare or bondage or failure, just like all of us. And we're all waiting for somebody or something to come along to heal us. And the world says, chase, go, get, get, go on top of the mountain, get a great career, get the perfect husband, get the perfect wife, get the perfect kids. Everybody is chasing redemption. And the Bible says, stop it. Stop chasing redemption and put yourself in the way of the Redeemer. I got four daughters and the reality is this. Here's the reality of my daughters. They're going to want husbands one day. You can pray for me. You're like, what's your, what's your advice? What's your advice? How do, you, how, do you, how do you shepherd your daughters to finding the right man? Number one, I admit there is no such thing. Number two... I say, find a Christian man, can I get a hallelujah, who has a job, amen, and who doesn't drink Jack Daniels, and that we're good, like we'll take it, we'll take it, right, and what they've got to do in their life is they, got, they can't be chasing boys, they've got to put themselves in the path of Christian young men and see what God does. And spiritually, that's what you and I got to do. We got to stop chasing the false dreams of the world and put ourselves in the path of the one who has a job. The one who doesn't, who has sober thinking and wisdom. The one who has truth and love for us. And as we put ourselves in his path and as we reach up and touch his garment, as, as, we, as we sit at his feet and say, save me, he is willing and he will bring to you a kingdom of everlasting love. And he'll give you purpose between now and then. And as you're on that zigzag route, you're going to run into people. And you're going to be able to bless them with your testimony. You're going to be able to bless them. You're going to become like Naomi, going from bitterness to fullness. Going from seemingly going to nowhere to, to living in purpose. And like Naomi, we'll get to be the church and we'll get to say, I was there too. But we have a redeemer. We found him. And here's how you go to him. You believe in him. Here's how you go to him. You, you, you risk it all. You give it up. You ask for transformation. You wait for him in hope. And Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, will take care of us. And he will redeem us. I love it that God not only wants to free us from prison, but put us in a certain state of happiness, of settled contentment that he's our redeemer. Amen. He has a vision for you that you live in the status as a redeemed person, not institutionalized to bondage, not a child of slavery, but a child of God walking in the truth that you are redeemed. Don't chase redemption. Put yourself in the path of the Redeemer. Let us pray. Father, we come to you and give you thanks and praise for your word this morning. How good it is. Uh, we love this story about Ruth. We love this. We love that you redeem this Moabite woman. And you show us that you can redeem us as well. Thank you, Father, for being willing to send your son. And thank you for him as a gift, as a willing sacrifice.
some of these things are mysterious and deep and we'll never get to the bottom of it. But Lord, help us to get in the way of, of your redemption. Even in putting ourselves in your path, we need the grace to do that. We live in a world, Father, that's chasing redemption. Help us to love the Redeemer. And Lord, if there's something that we're being called to, to risk this week, to give up, so that we can be at the feet of Jesus, help us to have the wisdom to know what those things are. If there's areas of our life where we need transformation, give us the humility to ask to come to you as a good father who has bread enough to spare for our lives. And Lord, if we're walking through an uncertain time or a storm and it seems like it'll never end, give us a heart that waits with patient hope. Make us like that righteous man of Psalm 112 who's unafraid of bad news, unafraid of the adversity. Show us the, the courage of Naomi and Ruth to actually walk in hope. It's hard, Lord, but help us to do that. Save us today. Redeem us. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.